Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Anchor Point online service. We'd just like to give a special shout out to anyone who is tuning in for the first time. We're so happy to have you here. Um, hopefully, we'll get to see you guys in person sometime soon as restrictions are being lifted. Just to introduce ourselves, this is Lee, my wonderful wife, and my name is Tian. We got three kids running around the campsite as we are busy camping tonight. And uh, yeah, we just wish you a wonderful day and a blessed day as well. We would just like to thank everyone that's been giving during this time. And for those of you who would like to give, you can do so via an e-transfer to giving at apaddiston.com. And yeah, we hope you guys have really enjoyed today's message as you continue exploring yes. the Psalms. And we'd just like to encourage everyone, if you feel um, up to it and don't have any symptoms, to come and join us on a Sunday morning. Mm -hmm. We have a 9 a.m. service and a 10 a.m. service where we spend time worshipping our Savior and praying together. Mm -hmm. If you're interested in that, you can check out the Facebook page or go online and you can reserve your tickets for that Friday event. Right. Love you guys. Hope Love to you see you guys soon. Have a nice day. Bye. Good morning. For those of you that are new to Anchor Point, welcome. If you don't know me, my name is Carrie and I'm married to Chris Terman. We've been coming to this church for over 10 years now and we enjoy being part of this family. In the beginning, I remember one of the main reasons that we chose Anchor Point was because the leadership had made a space in the service for the Holy Spirit. They embraced what Paul said in 1 Corinthians in 12, 12 to 31, about the church being like a body made up of many members, each with something valuable to contribute. And they trusted that since the Lord does speak to each and every one of us, maybe they should make room for those voices. And they do it every Sunday. It demonstrated to us faith and proved that this church was alive. It's kind of a scary thing for a pastor to relinquish the floor of his church to someone when he doesn't know exactly what they're going to say. But it's not as scary as when Tom sends you an email asking you to share your reflections on a particular psalm and then record it and then share it. At first I thought impossible. Then I thought, what an opportunity to delve into the word, ask the Holy Spirit for what the author may have meant and, and how what he had to say then applies now. And then take it to other believers who are interested to know, not what you say, but what the Holy Spirit has to bring us and then share it. So I said, yes. Let's pray. So Lord, Thank you for your church and this opportunity to get to know you more today through your word. Help us to understand what the psalmist felt then and the wisdom in it for us now. And keep the dialogue going with us throughout the week. That whatever I say, even if the words aren't perfect, point to the perfection in you and your perfect design for us now and in the future. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, before we read it, let's think about who wrote it and what experience may have brought him to this point in his life. I'm speaking about David, the shepherd boy who becomes king of God's chosen people. The same boy who at 15 is anointed by Samuel, the prophet, after passing his six older brothers. 
the boy who rescues his father Jesse's sheep from both a bear and a lion, which makes it hard for Saul to refuse when he offers to kill Goliath, which he does, only to earn the role of minstrel or stress soother of the king. I always thought that was strange, but it doesn't end there, right? The same David does become a warrior. He also becomes the best friend of Saul's son, Jonathan, who warns him that he has now become the target of the king's jealousy and has to run for his life, dividing the kingdom. Eventually, King Saul and Jonathan die in battle, although it's not at the hands of David. He then becomes the king of Judah, his tribe, around the year 1000. Finally, a seasoned warrior, he sits as king of all Israel in the year 993 BC, which he rules for 40 years. Now, that's someone you want to have an interview with to ask about the fundamentals of life skills. But what really amazed me is that he is still 1,000 years away from hearing any stories of intimate relationships with God. He didn't know um, of or read about people who could call on the Holy Spirit, the comforter that Jesus sent us to be with us in our struggles today and always. And yet the Bible calls him a man after God's own heart. So this is the man, and those were the times David wrote Psalm 23. Let's read. Verse 1 begins, The Lord is my shepherd. Oh. Right away, the first thing this great king reveals is the source of his well-being. And yet in doing so, he reduces himself to a sheep not the most prestigious animal to be compared to, rather humbling. Sheep, you might not know this, but sheep are not too smart. They follow blindly, even off cliffs. They're extremely vulnerable, make poor choices. They're very dependent, scare easily, have dirty feet, and get their hair in knots. They need a shepherd. Yet, here's David stating that, in fact, he, the almighty protector of Israel, has himself a protector. The rich and powerful provider is provided for. The wise ruler who decides which laws and directions the nation will go is guided by the staff of someone greater. The Lord is my shepherd. It's so great because King David's so great. There wasn't anyone greater in the kingdom. And yet David says there is. This is such a good example of how Old Testament Psalms are not old or outdated, but repeated themes spoken or even quoted by Jesus himself in the New Testament. Because the character of God doesn't change. David's God is our God, but we don't have to be a king to claim him as our shepherd. Jesus said in John 10, 11, I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep. 
And John 10, 14 says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my own know me. And this, knowing him is key. That's why we're gathered today. That's why we're doing this. We're studying and praying and living with our eyes on him. Something it seems David did throughout his entire life. So I was thinking if we would um, illustrate this psalm like they do on the Bible project, what kind of sheep do you think they'd make David? Pure white or shiny black? I'm not sure he would see himself that way. But picture yourself as part of this flock. Are you white with maybe some faded black spots? or maybe a couple of fence marks, perhaps some muddy feet, possibly lagging behind or butting heads with one of the others, or maybe looking over the fence. Point is, it doesn't matter. The Lord is our shepherd too, not because we're great sheep. Jesus promised that if we believe he is who he said he is. We are his. And like a father loves all his children, though different and flawed and gifted, they are all his and he cares for each one. John 1 12 says, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. I was going to get you to say, amen, but I couldn't do it. Looking at the rest of verse 1, it reads, I shall not want. Other translations say, I lack nothing, or I have all that I need. Oh, right. So that's it. We could just close the book there because I'm good. The trouble is, I do want. We want all the time. From the moment we wake up, the alarm goes off and I want to sleep in longer. I want my kids to just eat their breakfast and not play with it. I want to have less stress getting out the door. I want my plans to go well, my health to improve, my friends to come. I want a better body, a better phone, a better car, a better house, job, parents, spouse, church, life. I want company. I want peace. It's in us from day one. Adam and Eve lived in paradise with everything they could possibly need, but they still wanted the one thing they didn't have. It's our nature. So what does the Bible say about how to get from discontentment to contentment? And how did David do that? One definition in the dictionary that I found said, Contentment is accepting as adequate, despite wanting more or better. So I want to know, how do we get from dictionary adequate to Jesus's promise of life more abundant? Solomon, the wisest and richest man who ever lived, said, whoever loves money never has money enough. This too is meaningless. Ecclesiastes 5.10. Solomon goes on to indulge in many other kinds of wants, but he always comes up with the same conclusion. 
he's not better for it or more satisfied. Again, Jesus makes current the wisdom expressed in the Old Testament by saying, therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or your body, what you will wear. It's not, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Matthew 6.25. Like somehow our focus is just not on the main picture. In Matthew 6.32-33, Jesus tells us how. He says, For pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So we aren't expected to live happily in hard times, but we are encouraged to keep focused on him until things change. There are many stories of prominent Christians who have done that, like uh, John, Johnny Erickson or Joni Erickson and Corrie ten Boom, whose state of contentment changed even without a change in their situation. Johnny never regained use, the use of her legs and Corrie ten Boom spent three months in solitary confinement before she was put in prison. But both these women share stories of how the great shepherd provided for them, even so. But if you don't buy into these stories, these stories of encouragement, these testimonies, we won't buy into David's either. If we look up the word want in the dictionary, as a verb, it means to desire, and the psalmist uses it as a verb, but as a noun, a condition, it means to be destitute, in need, as in neglected. But David couldn't have really lived in that kind of want because he was a king. He could have had anything he desired. And he exercised that right with Bathsheba. But when he realized the grave mistake that he'd made, then he was in trouble. He became a desperate sheep caught between the rocks in need of his shepherd. Who could he tell? Who could advise him? Who could get him out of this spot? But the same shepherd who knows the answer to everything, the God of the universe. Hence, with God as my shepherd, I have no need, no lack. Dallas Willard says, that's the natural result. When you think of the many burdens and responsibilities that must have been part of his everyday life, you can imagine how much David needed someone to lean on. It's not easy being a king, a good one. So how did David know he could rely on his God to shepherd him through this life experience? And the promises of old, and we have those too, only many more than David had. The writer to the Hebrews reminds us, be content with such things as you have. For Jesus himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not fear. Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. We also have Paul's example whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, here again is the key, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Philippians 4, 
12 to 13. So God doesn't expect us to be superheroes. He uses words like trials and suffering, running races and fighting good fights to describe the Christian life. He knows what he's asking. And there are some real needs in this church. But when we need, uh, when we read some of these stories and promises, we see that he's got us. And I believe through all of David's trials, let me read that again, through all of David's trials, he grew to know that he had David too. It says in Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Sorry, it's a lot of Bible, but you asked for it. And in 2 Peter 1.3, it says, his divine power has given us everything we need. And at this point, you might be thinking, but what about that thing that you needed? But the rest of the world says, need for godly life. For a godly life. So there are a lot of things causing us discontentment that we think we need to feel better, to look better, or whatever. But not for a godly life. That life is a life of faith and service and trust. And when it becomes harder than we think we can handle, we pray and encourage each other and share in the joy of recognizing him in it while he makes us better. I know I've only shared the first two parts of verse one of Psalm 23, but that's a thing I think Tom is trying to show us by challenging us to take a look, not a glance, but spend some time in Psalms. It's endless what you start to realize. Like I started thinking, what if we had all we wanted? We'd be sorely in need of a means to grow or something to keep us busy or feel a sense of accomplishment for or have a topic to pray about or share with friends or experience empathy or gratitude. And another thing I realized also, I mean, it goes on the things that come to mind when you, when you delve into the Bible and ask the Lord to show you. Um, I, re I realized that the number one skill of a shepherd is to know his sh sheep's needs 24-7. It's true. I mean, even in the night, the conditions, the weather conditions, the, um, if they, I mean, it goes on and on. You can read about sheep, but it's, it's interesting. Finally, understanding how David goes from want to shall not want are in the remaining verses of the psalm. They are the verses that show his trust and his conviction in the shepherd who showed up in hunger in thirst, in fatigue, and fear, and conflict. He recalls all that God has done for him and closes with a heartfelt verse that sings of assured hope of the future. So let's read, read them all together. 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. 
He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this church and your steadfast shepherding of us. Help us to continue to read your word and keep discovering endless wisdom and help and hope and love, the love you have for us and, and show us how to love each other. Help us to be truly content, Lord, when the need seems so oppressive and all we can see is what we lack. Thank you for preserving David's psalm to share with us today and to remind us of the good shepherd you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So, I have three parting suggestions. One, pick a song and invite the Lord to read it with you. Think about the author and the times and how you relate or how you don't and if it reminds you of things in the New Testament or somewhere else in the Bible and then share that with someone else. Number two, ask yourself, is the Lord my shepherd? Look in. Number three, consider the times the Good Shepherd has provided for you in a time of need and write it down. Create your own Psalm 23 and read it the next time you're in want of a good story you can buy into. Thanks for listening. See you soon.